Hi. Hello. My name is oh. Matt. And I'm Wes. And botching the opening here. Yeah, like definitely botching the opening because it's the holiday season. Hello, and welcome to our Gay by Lee podcast. Where we translate nerd culture. And let's be honest, we always have, have fun. fun. Yeah, we... Did you get your name out? You got your name out. I'm Wes. <laughs> it's December. It's December, therefore... Just write we are... the whole month off for productivity or brain activity. Yeah, I'm at the point where I just don't want to do any work anymore. Because I'm so sick and tired of renewing contracts for my job or whatever. And I don't know what I do. No, I don't think anyone really knows what they do. But anyways... It's December, which means by the time this comes out, it's halfway through December, which means we went to PAX Unplugged. We did. The first week of December. Yes, which feels like an eternity ago, but wow, holy, here we are. (laughs) So what do you think of PAX Unplugged, Matt? Always, it's a wonderful time. If anything, it just feels like it isn't long enough of a weekend, which is why I took a whole two days off Friday and Monday, Monday, so I could fucking recover. Yes. And I'm pretty sure I have some kind of form of a combination of con crud and a combination of just, it is fucking freezing outside and I want to die. Also, you gave me whatever this is. Yes. Yeah. I did actually get hit with the con crud pretty hard. So no surprise that I eventually transferred it to you. Thanks, babe. You're welcome. So, Uh, Airborne diseases aside, how was PAX Unplugged? Oh, PAX Unplugged is always phenomenal. It's a place to go and embrace the nerdism of TTRPGs, board games, everything you can imagine. And, you know, we were pretty much a couple of the very few people doing cosplay, which we saw a couple of really good cosplays about, but this doesn't just seem like it's one of those big cosplay-heavy cons. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Pre-COVID, I feel like there was a healthy dose of cosplay at PAX, both PAX East and presumably Unplugged, I suppose. We didn't go to it before then, but... Yeah. Yeah, and it's just sort of not there. Crit Roll has their their fans out in force in cosplay. Yes, they did have a meetup, and I know that we did run into a couple of people that were literally cosplaying as their own characters, which I kind of did the first day. I dressed up as my storyteller outfit, basically. Yeah. And then... Someone mistook that for a costume. Someone mistook it as uh, Heroes of the Multiverse? Hmm. Or Champions of the Multiverse? Something like that. And I was just like, it's not that, but now I need to see if I am copywriting something. Yes. (laughs) By wearing something from Dracula clothing. Anyways... Other than that, we mostly spent the whole weekend in very invincible, like, cosplay, because our one of the people that were visiting, because we had many people visiting our house over that weekend, because, you know, our house is your home, and we will treat you as incredible guests, but oh my god, we had so many people over. There's a lot of people. And the person that was cosplaying with the, the people staying over was, only had his invincible cosplay, so we decided to go as a trio. I, myself, as Immortal, Wesley here as Omni-Man, and our friend as Invincible. And it turns out, when you do group cosplays, you get a lot more recognition. <laughs> yeah, no, that was nice. And it it helped. It helped the embarrassment. I did feel a little embarrassed at times, just being, like, the only one in cosplay out of every thousand or so people. I'm always there with you in cosplay. If not, I'm in cosplay and you're not. I know. I know. But yes, the larger the group, <laughs> the more you mitigate that sort of awkwardness. And, you know, it's not like anybody was weird about it or anything. In fact, you know, there were plenty of people who were supportive, plenty of people asking for pictures. And yeah, it's it's still fun. It but. is still fun. And I got a couple of pictures with some incredible influencers and people that do the TTRPG stuff that I very much appreciate and follow. Yeah. I was able to uh, meet both uh, Michelle Bradley and Nora Ibrahim, Erica Ishii, which was a surprise. Yes. Just happened upon her at on the con floor like 15 minutes before it closed the final day. Yeah. I, or 15 minutes after we got there. It was like early in the day. Oh. Well, I mean, we got there late the last day, yeah. too. We did. Yeah. I was going to try and get a picture with that great gentleman, a.k.a. Patrick, from the Volante booth, though. 
and we couldn't because we were waiting for him to get done with the customer, and then when he was done with the customer, someone came by with, like, they were Twitch streaming them going around the con, and I'm like, ugh, we, we want to go home, we're tired. Yeah, yeah, the we, life of the booth babe is quite busy. <laughs> it certainly is. And of course, my favorite, Dot, from Cobalt Press. Wow, picking favorites. Well, I mean... You know, when we when you meet at Dragon Con and your Dragon Con buddies, it's like seeing your summer camp friends. It's great. Yes. Plus, I also got to interview with Dot. So if you are hearing this, thank you again very much for the time and for allowing me to, on the spot, just have to, oh, I'm promoting as a content creator. Okay, we have a podcast. That's right. I should probably promote this. Yeah. Got a chance to, to plug Game Boys. Excellent. Yes. Uh, and I should probably start updating the Instagram instead of just oh. not doing anything. <laughs> We're I, all very busy. I'm very busy. And I just, I hate, I hate social media and I hate advertising for it anymore. And, you know, it's, we get a healthy dose of people that listen and got to meet one of them this weekend a couple of them i believe but specifically uh wanted to thank mike for stopping by and saying hi yes it it was was awesome meeting an actual fan yeah or at least listener (laughs) i guess i didn't maybe he hates us secretly i didn't didn't ask (laughs) but yes no i it was it was just one of those like oh my god we we, we have fans yeah it was (laughs) And Quite it, a shock. Yeah, it, it was just one of those things that, like, it, it really did mean a lot. Because it was just to like... as well, yeah. It, it's one of those things that, yeah, you hear from more friends that are just close, and it's just like, oh, yeah, you, you were talking about this on podcasts. I'm like, yeah. 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 Yep. <laughs> but then it's like, you're still listening after, like, 75 episodes, so I guess. <laughs> but thank you again. And yes. anyone that listens to this podcast, not just the people that recognizes the public... Thank you for listening to this podcast, and yes, it warms my heart. (laughs) Yes, we do appreciate it. I tend to think of it more as like a a journal, something to leave behind, something to, a a memoir of our life experiences together, you know, at the very least. It's never been an assumption that anyone would actually listen to us, so it is a genuine treat to find out that, yes, some of you do just enjoy hearing us banter. And with that also, we had... A fantastic at time at the con with panels. Yeah. Uh, specifically, I really enjoyed some of the tips I learned from the uh, tips and tricks for one shots. Also had a fantastic time at the queer representation. Oh, yeah. That uh, was my favorite. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. So I, I'm i trying to even remember the other ones. There was a lot of um, very good safety tool ones that we went to go check out as well. Um, but other than that, I do think that last year's wealth of uh panels was a little bit bigger for at least our needs specifically than it was this year i think there was a lot and i noticed it was another criticism with a couple of our other friends was there was a lot of focus on content creators that are streamers in ttrpg space yeah it was a noticeable difference between last year and this year how much this con was about Promoting yourself and your brand as a TTRPG producer, streamer, whatever, compared to just how to be a good DM or storyteller. And there were still, like, I remember during the um, the tips and tricks on one shot, it was actually Michelle Bradley that yes. was, at, by the time we got to her down the line of people, she's like, I know we talked about the technical stuff, but I want to talk about, like, home game stuff, too. And it was nice to have people recognize that not everyone is doing all the, like, streaming. I would love to do it. I do not have a space to do it, at least as far as I think I can, or the bandwidth to do it at the moment, for sure. And I mean, uh, it's... I'm, I'm really of two minds about it. It is annoying to see how much of our culture is about, like, influencer celebrity status. You know, we're currently in the process of leaving a gym that is overrun with it. Yep. But anything that helps discovery of smaller, lesser-known TTRPGs is probably a good thing. It is. I, I, I think with the gym versus this, this is on a different level, at least, yes. than that. That's when- a bit... 
The bodybuilding industry is very corrupt. <laughs> yes. One, 100% for sure. And if you pay attention to any news, I guess some liver king was at least something of note for any normies. What is this? There was a man that claimed to be 100% natural, and then it was leaked out that he spends $10,000 a month on gear. That's... Stupid. That is a stupid amount of money to spend on gear. It is. The man also, when you look at him, it's like, I'm sorry, you said that you're you're natural? And also his defense was he was doing it so that he can promote his brand so kids wouldn't do drugs. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Anyways, bodybuilding bodybuilding is not part of this podcast. Podcast. Copcast podcast. And it is bad, <laughs> even though we both very much body build, and I don't. It's fine. Correct. We're just <laughs> we're just fulfilling our own narcissism. Nothing, yes. nothing nefarious. Nothing nefarious. I I have pretty much given up on my dreams of ever going to stage because I do not want to give anyone in that kind of field any kind of money. Yeah, but anyways, back to TTRPG streaming. It is. It's annoying anytime I think that there are people out there just deliberately trying to be the next Critical Role or the next Ginny D or something like that. But that's not everybody. No, it's not. And also, there are people that they do it for like a a whole like 20 people and they are happy to show it to those 20 people. Yeah. We do this this podcast for this, like, I think it's on average, like 60 to a hundred people that listen on average. Yeah. Yeah. That's enough to fill up a room. Maybe we should get a panel next year. (laughs) Oh goodness. No, 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 (laughs) no, 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 no. Hit me in the DMS. If you want a panel next year, I don't know. (sighs) We do not have the time or energy for that. We should probably make business cards though. We'll talk. (laughs) We'll talk. Anyways, other than PAX Unplugged, we uh, also spent Sunday night going to Broadway night and introducing uh, at least friend of the show, Jess, to their first experience to a gay bar that wasn't just on the outskirts of Scranton. But Matt, I was blackout drunk that night. What's Broadway night? Well, Broadway night is a, well, I'm assuming this happens in multiple cities and multiple places, but it is a time when you go to a gay bar and they do nothing but play Broadway show tunes on the TV screens and everyone just sings and dances to Broadway show tunes. I've never seen another bar anywhere do this, and it's kind of crazy that it, that I haven't seen it. <laughs> that I haven't seen it anywhere else. I've seen it one other place, and it's tracks in Chicago. Okay. And they do it as a Sunday brunch, but not at night, as far as I'm aware. Interesting. See, I already expect nightclubs to be loud and obnoxious and annoying. I, I would not want that sort of thing over brunch. No. Personally. And the level of volume when it was at brunch, it was about the same as what it is at Broadway night here. Okay. And this takes place in Tavern on Kamak, by the way. Just in case anyone is a local person that isn't familiar with it. Yeah. So, yes, it is the little gay bar that's nestled, and it's the last bastion, because there's not a whole lot of gay bars left in Philadelphia. Yeah. It's a dying breed across the country, unfortunately. Yeah. I think... I was going to say bars in general might be, but I don't know if that's true or not, because I just do not go out. You know, not the worst thing. I would hope for more public LGBT spaces, especially where people don't feel pressured to drink just to exist. But I don't know if those are actually replacing bars or if bars are just disappearing. I don't know either. But regardless, it is a fantastic night. It is some of the few moments that I do feel like wholesome communityness with the LGBT community, rather than us just kind of sniping each other mm. at times. Yeah. When we go see a certain uh, stand-up comedian, maybe. Oh, goodness. Yes. We won't talk about We're that. We're not going to talk about that. Because I don't want to I don't want to get anyone's bad, bad side. Yes. Would be hypocritical to be engaging in that sort of drama. But yes, um, it's it, it just feels like it is a safe space for everyone to just, you know, sing Rent, even though it's problematic. Yeah. But yes, that has been our PAX Unplugged this year, and it has been wonderful, except for Saturday when it was raining. Yeah, I mean, we still had good pictures that day. We did take some really good pictures. Yeah. And we had a photographer that saw us in the streets and took pictures of us, and I still haven't heard back. Oh, he's probably getting them developed. Yeah, this was old school photographer with a 
analog camera. Yeah. That I don't even know what the technology is anymore. Exactly. So I, I will wait and see whatever happens. Yeah. So with that, shall we go into our reviews? Uh, sure. Yes. So should we start with uh, the, uh, your favorite day of the week, a.k.a. the day that we're recording this on, because it's very late <laughs> for recording, that is. Yeah, let's talk about Wednesday. Let's talk about Wednesday. Or should we call it Hump Day, because she was constantly flirting and getting in love triangles. Okay, I, that's where you're going with that. Yes, uh, Wednesday, starring the incredibly and hot on the press Jenna Ortega. I I mean, I, I really enjoyed this series. I did enjoy this series. I will say that up front. I want to say this up front because I'm probably going to talk a lot about how, what I didn't like about the series. Yeah, that that's fair. Because, again, I, like you, enjoyed it. I thought the jokes absolutely landed. The tone, the performances, everything about it was great. It kind of falls apart in the end. I think the writing is just a bit... It's probably the writing eh, that suffers the most. There's there's some amount of writing. Christina Ricci's acting, honestly, she could not carry the part they gave her. I thought she was good until later in the series, and people that have seen it probably understand why. Yeah, there's a reason she's in Cursed, my favorite werewolf movie, and one of the worst movies of all time. Oh man, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, I still haven't subjected you to that torture yet wait i thought you sh- showed it to me like last year or something did i show you cursed this is the one with no no you're probably thinking of ginger snaps i am thinking which of was ginger good. snaps that was a good one but anyways yes so what is wednesday for those that haven't been you know on the internet <laughs> it is a a celebration of the adams family I would agree with that 100%. Like, it it definitely has fan service wall-to-wall. Even though it's centered around Wednesday, everyone from the family gets a moment. Yeah, uh, you know, little tiny references to the original theme song and, and specific character beats and moments from the 90s films. Just, yeah, amazing job being an Adams Family property. But it's also trying to be Harry Potter by way of a Marvel superhero movie at times. <laughs> I don't know the Marvel superhero angle you're taking, but you yes, know, they do uh, have the Nevermore School Academy for outcasts and whatnot. And we really don't know what else they teach here because halfway through the series we went, wait, do they take classes? Yeah, this is Harry Potter minus the school. Like, you know, teachers are present. They occasionally enter this the frame not so much the story but yeah the the whole school side of things is just glossed over yeah it is it is rather unfortunate because one thing about harry potter that everyone does remember about it on top of yes it is surrounding the students is that you know the professors and teachers are just iconic characters everyone remembers mcgonagall everyone rem- remembers snape Everyone remembers even, like, the occasional Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher that just gets completely swapped out every single season and has nothing to do with the main plot. Now, we do have Gwendolyn Christie, who's a treasure. Yes. She's wonderful. She is fantastic. She is definitely one of the highlights of this show. Yes. But we also have Christine Ritchie, who is the botanist teacher, and then we have someone that is... I'm assuming a fencing teacher during that one scene. During that that one scene. And that is about... It for when it comes to professors in the school. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like Harry Potter really works because it has that that schoolyard charm. And this, you know, it's in there with probably Riverdale, definitely Sabrina. Yeah, I do. uh, This is an unfortunate thing of Netflix being attached to this whatsoever is I am automatically comparing it one-to-one with Sabrina, which it is... It is better. Oh, far better than Sabrina. It is better currently than Sabrina because, you know, I have so many sour thoughts on Sabrina that it's just, it's doing much better. Yeah. Wednesday's far more likable right out of the gate. And even though she suffers from the same sort of fierce independence slash arrogance that 
betrays a lot of her friends, you know, she actually suffers some consequences for it. Yeah, it is nice. It is nice to see people actually suffering consequences for their actions. Now, I do want to call attention to the low blow I made at the start of this. How do you feel about them exploring Wednesday's sexuality to the degree that they did? I don't like it. (laughs) Okay, you don't like it. Because I don't know if I like it or not. I See, I don't need Wednesday to have a boyfriend. And, you know, the love triangle was bad. It was the worst part of the season. The love triangle was the worst part of this season. Mostly because of how the boys were written. And... How the really con- just one of the boys was written? Oh, yes. No, definitely one of the boys. And I I have his fucking face yeah. just imprinted on my mind. Yeah. And just that, like, that weird, like, crunched up, like, smirk he makes where he's just, like, angry, but also, like, trying to, I don't know, take a poop. <laughs> oh, boy. It's, yeah, I, I do not like that I kind of just want them to drop that and just focus on her relationship with her roommate and not even as a, you know, a relationship, but just as a platonic like friendship, because that was probably where any of the like co-classmates plot lines seem to shine, honestly. Yes, for sure. Although I have heard some people accuse the show of queer baiting with those two, which I did not get. I did not get either. I think it is... I think it is because, you know, this looks very much, very much like Wicked, to the point where I kept saying every five seconds, popular, we're gonna be popular, and it just, it's, it's undeniable. It's pretty undeniable, yeah. And we get enough queer representation in the show anyways. We get two gay moms. Yeah, yeah, lesbian moms. All for that. That was great. Occasionally we see a couple of same-sex couples, which is great. We had, in my opinion, a problematic allegory for conversion therapy. Yes. Which which did not really make sense or translate, but they just sort of put it in there because. I think... uh, I... I don't know what they were doing with that. I think it was just to reinforce a parental relationship and not with the parents that was trying to push it. Yeah, yeah. Like, the the context is... I don't know, is this a spoiler? Let's not even worry about it. I'm not even going to give it away, but... Yeah, it's just like... There was a good point being made, a good plot beat about forcing your special child to become even more special and but that's not really conversion therapy and it's like a a thing that's already supposed to happen i ah god you could have made a much stronger point if you didn't try to shoehorn in this this phrase yeah it it's it's a lot. It was that was weird. It was yeah. I wouldn't say it's a lot. It's weird. It is only from one episode, and it's not like a recurring theme through the season. So, which is why it just does not really register on my radar. So, yeah, minor nitpick. But while we're talking about queer stuff, yeah, I guess. And also, I mean, you know, if they think that they're queer baiting because oh, look at her fingernails—they turn rainbows. So she has to be gay. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Start yelling at the gays, trademark. Yes. Because that's just... No. People can have rainbow-colored fingernails. That's fine. Yeah. Except for in Everything Ever All at Once. That is clearly just part of the character. Yes. <laughs> we have double standards on this television <laughs> show. Leave me the fuck alone. Oh, Matthew. I just... I think that it's one of those things... It's not as bad as the time where we were told... Encanto has a lot of queer representation, and then we saw the movie, and it's like, I'm sorry, what the fuck did you say? Yeah. (laughs) But it's... I mean, it's sort of in the same vein. It's sort of in the same vein of, like, you are trying to force these characters to be gay when they just weren't written gay. Yeah. They weren't... Well, no, they they were written, as far as we know, straight. Like... Yeah, and, you know, if something comes of them being roommates and getting closer, then sure. I just don't see Wednesday. I don't 
Make Wednesday Adams asexual. I I don't know. I I don't know either. You know, it's I don't mind them exploring Wednesday's sexuality. I uh, I guess it feels like it's forced because the love triangle is is that it's forced. The love triangle was stupid, and I hated it. I it may have been well written for. This is how idiot eighteen-year-old boys act. I guess impulsive and selfish and dumb, wildly mood swingy from moment to moment. I I don't know it. The show was clearly not made for us. <laughs> no, I think it was made for us. I, I I guess yes. When it's such a big homage to people that grew up with at least the Wendy, uh, the Adams fan family movie. Yeah, but still, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's like, I don't know, Wednesday is her mother's daughter, and that was a big part of this show. So her mother being this intensely sexual being, it kind of makes sense to maybe explore that with Wednesday a little. Maybe, but she also was trying to not be her mother at the same time, too. Sure, and they explore that side of things as well. And ultimately, they leave it open for season two, so who knows where they'll go with this direction from there. I will say this, I, I'm not excited with the prospect we're left with the season two. Yeah, one season would have been fine. Well, like, I don't I don't think that there's anything I'm not as interested. Yeah. <laughs> like th- there were things that were introduced in the first concept of this show that were interesting, and then a lot of that stuff of interest are either removed one way or another yes or they just don't they don't pan out to anything yeah so i'm just kind of like all right you got everyone's attention everyone loves wednesday there's an entire fucking dance trend now because of wednesday yep which is also apparently problematic because of covid things but regardless (laughs) of course yeah do not do not blame jenna ortega like for any of that shit. Blame Netflix, blame Tim Burton, whoever you want to blame, don't blame the actress. Yeah. She is a goddamn kid, and she doesn't know the, what's good for her. She just wants to do her job. Yep. And when they're trying to cram a schedule because, oh no, she has COVID, but let's just make her do it anyways. That's not her fault. I'm just gonna put my little foot in that sand there. Feel free, it's your podcast. I will. <laughs> As I place my pinky toe gingerly in the sand of despair. <laughs> That's the internet. Yeah. The internet, oh, the internet, the internet is, is the sand of the despair. Sand of despair. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, um, other than that, this almost became a musical, and then it didn't. <laughs> Did it? Was there a song? There were there were multiple songs, like oh, shoehorned into it. Single one. There there were multiple cello performances, I should uh, say. Ah, yes. And immediately it was, wait, another version of Paint It Black? Oh, wait, it's what Wednesday Adams. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Hmm. But yes, I, I, did, I did enjoy that aspect of it a little bit. It wasn't on a level of, like, Sabrina, where it's, like, very forced into it. You know what I think was a little bit forced into it? The mystery element. A little bit, it was... Yeah. Like, I, I don't I, think we needed a murder I mystery. Guess I I kind of just wish that they had showed their hand in the first episode and let the audience know what the deal was. And let the tension play out from there. Because what they did instead of that was introduce so many red herring characters and so many misdirects that they spent the last, basically, three episodes of this show going, Ha! It's you! No, it couldn't be you. It must be you! And giving her countless moments where she gets to do the smart Poirot detective thing only to be proven wrong again. Like, they don't need to give us this many false endings to keep us guessing. Yeah, I mean, I did have one guess, and then my guess was also failed to that whole red herring thing, and I thought I thought I saw past the red herrings. I thought I finally was like... Mm. But then, but then I started seeing it teeing up for the reveal, and I'm like, okay, wait, I'm definitely wrong. Yeah, and, and by the time they finally got to what the actual solution was, I was just tired of guessing. I I think it was too. Yeah, it 
I think there were way too many red herrings, for yeah. sure. Yeah. But yes, after we have eviscerated this television show, it's and, pretty great. Like, yeah, final, <laughs> final word on it is it is extremely entertaining, sincere, well-produced, great show. Recommend watch if you have the time. Just had these kind of annoying problems. Also, I know that it came out in November, and I guess someone pointed out that pilgrims were a thing in it, and therefore that was a reason why it should be put out in November. I severely I, disagree. I, you should have put this out in October. This is this is spooky season. This would have I feel I feel like this would have been better than me watching this while putting up my Christmas tree. Hmm. I have no horse in this race. Release it whenever you want. Sure. Just don't do it in Christmas. Release Scream Six in February for all I care. It's in March. Whatever. <laughs> and they can release it in February for all I care. Which, yes, you will see Jenna Ortega in that as well, because I didn't even realize she was in Scream 5. Oh, very exciting. <laughs> yes. That was that was my revelation of, oh, shit, she's actually the... Okay, I get it now. Yes. <laughs> I have a stake in the game now when it comes to Scream 6. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. Other than that, we have many board games that we decided to try out and play with friends throughout the past couple weeks, especially with PAX Unplugged. Especially PAX Unplugged. Would you like to talk about one game in particular that you decided to purchase like a fucking furry? I would indeed. I picked up The Wolves, it is called. Just The Wolves. Which is a worker placement game for board game aficionados of which I am... I certainly was like that after you spent close to a half hour to an hour talking about the rules. It, you know, the rules did not seem that complicated. No, but again... There's just a couple of gotchas that, especially if you're not familiar with worker placement games, gonna gotcha. And yes, certainly, yes. So, now... I need to look into worker placing games more because the only other one of this genre that I have played is called Raiders of the North Sea, which was delightful. Also recommend you pick up that. It has a lovely single player digital version. Full disclosure, I used to work for the company who made that client and that was part of my interest in it. Anyways, (laughs) the basic idea is you have a world map with a limited number of spaces on it where you can place, quote, workers. And, you know, depending where you place them, where you move them to, they will accomplish some work or gather some resources. It works a little bit like like an RTS in that sense, but, you know, translated to a board game. And it's a lot of resource management in extremely limited ways. And in this case of the wolves, you are placing wolves in your pack or building up dens, turning those dens into larger layers, all for the purposes of hunting prey, claiming territories, and perhaps swaying wild wolves and even your rival's wolves to your heel. Just like the furry agenda. Yes, we do seek to conquer all. I mean, I'm not a furry. I mean, you're the furry. Yes. It was you. Yes, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's Any, me. Yeah, yes. Let me finish a fucking quote! <sighs> Are you done? I'm done. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, the goal is to win enough victory points by the end of a moon phase. And that's about it. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was relatively easy to learn as this sort of board game goes. It is difficult, like, this whole worker placement methodology of, like, oh, I can place this here, but if I place it here this turn, then next turn I'm only going to be able to place that there if my opponent places theirs there. So it's kind of that sort of chess, think three moves ahead that I'm not so good at, and you'll frequently fuck up your own plans accidentally. That sounds about right, yes. Um... Which is not a criticism. It's just a style of game that I'm not used to. I don't know. Matt, I subjected you to this. What what were your thoughts on it at now that you've had a couple of days away from it? Um, 
it was fine. I, I think it's a it's a nice game to play when y- you don't have you know other games that you're really hyped out about. And I did enjoy it overall. I do think that it is a lot of very much like that. You have to think three steps ahead, and I can only probably think two steps ahead. And then by the time I get to that second step, I'm like, wait, what was that step again? Shit. Mm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's pretty much my big TLDR on it. It's it's fun. I, I I did say how I got frustrated listening to the rules because I'm just not very used to these games for one thing, and they can be like a lot, especially when they have like multiple different resources that you're collecting and stuff like that. So yeah. Fair enough. When there's lots of bells and whistles on the control panel, I start to go blue button go woo-woo. I mean, I don't think it had more than, say, Dice Forge. I definitely don't think it had more than our next game. No, but I think our next game is a bit more straightforward, Hmm. surprisingly. I'm not sure about that. I think so. (laughs) Okay, well, I am fine leaving the wolves to rest there. Sure, because it's not the next moon phase or whatever. Anyways, so the other board game we really cracked out was Vampire Vendetta. And this is based off of the Vampire the Masquerade board uh, TTRPG. Not board game, even though it is a board game. But this board game allows you to pick one of the seven, but also I think it's six clans in this. I believe it's the core seven for the Camarilla. Okay, for the Camarilla, yes. But you're able to pick one of the clans and represent that clan in the city of Chicago. And this takes place over three... Three rounds. Rounds. It's not... It doesn't specifically say rounds or nights or anything like that, but rounds, yeah. Where you will basically deck build your hand to dish out disciplines in specific portions of the city and eventually claim Praxis as the Prince of Chicago. Yeah. Uh, depending on the number of players, you could have anywhere from three to four different places within the city of Chicago that you are vying for control over. You gain control by bidding influence in the form of allies and your own personal disciplines that you install into each of these locations. And then, once all of the planning is carried out, whoever has the most influence into an area wins that area. The final area is the Prince's Haven. Whoever wins the most influence there becomes the tiebreaker for the next round. And then there's also some backstabbing where you can force your enemies to drain the blood of their allies and various very vampire things that you, if you are familiar with the TTRPG, it's very political and very backstabby and very full of secrets. Yes, it it is, does an incredibly elegant job of designing mechanics for frenzy and diablerie into this card-based game. So I was I was really impressed at how simply they were able to to make those mechanics and have them all work together while also keeping to all of the theming for each of the individual clans. You have the Nosferatu who are very sneaky, who will be one place where you expect them to be and then suddenly appear in the prince's haven to make their play. You have the Toreador that's able to garner a significant amount of influences with allies and other individuals that just simply bolster your name and make you more powerful the more people you have in your alliance. You have the Tremere who are constantly dabbling, brushing up against Frenzy and spending exorbitant amounts of blood and even relying on succumbing to the beast. And the Malkavian, the wild card. The wild card, yes. They make everything fucked up and crazy and just consistently use things against you. Yeah, so fantastic job. I enjoy this so, so very much. We've played three or four games at this point, and yeah, everyone, we learn more about what our other what the clans are capable of, which only enriches the experience. Which is unfortunate because it seems like this is the one that they have not decided to bolster their expansions behind. Well, yeah, like Rivals is the one that they're really front and center with the most because they can infinitely expand Rivals, and this is kind of set where it is. But you can always add more either another city or even yeah. more clans. They could they could add more clans. I'm not sure why they haven't. I hope they have plans to. I I don't see anything. Yeah. And that's unfortunate cuz yeah. we did play Rivals. We 
tried to play Rivals at Gen Con back in 2021, it it's just very... It's bloated. Yeah, it's it has a much more kitchen sink approach to game design, whereas, you know, uh, this game took something like Diablery and worked it into existing systems. Rivals felt like it had to introduce new systems for everything. Yeah, it it just didn't feel like it flowed very well, yeah. honestly, and that's unfortunate. Yeah. But it was still fun. Yeah, it was fun, but I still I do prefer this over the other one. We still have. Vampire Heritage, which I don't even know if we'll ever actually crack out because I don't want to. Uh, are we ever going to have friends we can bank on coming over to play weekly until we finish a, a legacy campaign? I guess. I guess I, we should try th- that. Maybe. I, I guess that's that's what legacy games require. Unfortunately, I kind of want to get a home force before ever asking anyone to get into a legacy game. Honestly, <sighs> we're gonna need fucking kids. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Hey, what about kids? We can <laughs> take... It's like that Handmaid's Tale. You can just, just take your kids. Uh, that's another thing. We'll talk about that next episode, I'm sure. Oh, God. I started watching this fucking thing, telling him he doesn't have to, and then we're, I'm already at season five, and now he's just watching it with me. You know, we're through the worst. Half. Yeah, I I had to watch the worst parts. Yeah. I don't want that in my life. <laughs> Don't worry, it's so much better now. Yeah. Easier to watch now. I don't know. Watching characters self-destruct. Anyways, Mm. (laughs) other than that, we should probably talk about our tabletop update. Which means more vampire. More vampire. And I can go really quick about a certain one-shot I ran during the PAX Unplugged weekend. Would you like to talk about it? Because I want to hear your perspective of it. Oh, man. This is so long ago. No, I'm confusing this. You're oh, confusing the one right. with... Yes. The, the Ice Road Truckers or yes. whatever we did. Yeah, no, this other one shot. <laughs> I, God. We'll get a copyright strike against us if I, if I sing it. Oh, we will. Yes, 100%. Oh, God. Yeah, there were four of us. Four? I think it was just four players. Yes. Yeah. And we each basically took turns going through this escape room. And every time we got one of the puzzles wrong, the escape room resets. Also, um, there were multiple rooms, so I would have someone escape the first room, then go to the next one, and they would escape that room. Everything was the same, too. Basically, more or less. Yeah, the and same puzzles. It was, there. yes. So we were sort of working independently and over time slowly working more together as we found some indirect ways to communicate to find our way out of this. And every time we failed, we would reset to the beginning of the puzzle where we were woken up by heaven is a place on earth. I don't know the original artist, but yes, of course, because it's fucking Matt. <laughs> He plays the actual song every time we screw up a puzzle. <laughs> we had one friend that was completely tired from the con that day. Yes. And she had gone into the study to to just sleep. And the next morning she woke up and went, Why did I keep hearing Heaven is a Place on Earth just on and off and on and off and on and off? And I was just... Yep. Yeah. It became a <laughs> it became a trigger happy song throughout the whole weekend. Yes. Uh, I, it is still in my head. It still pops up now and then <laughs> weeks later. <laughs> it's just it's a good opening. This does it it did ultimately seem like a one shot that was intended to frustrate <laughs> to frustrate you. To frustrate us perhaps. Yes. You know, between the music, the really not being able to talk to each other. At first. Yeah, and it, you know, at no point did it become clear that, like, we we should be working to the same goal together. We weren't really trusting each other. We weren't role-playing. It was really just solving puzzles together. You didn't get to the main 
meat of it, though, is that you were all playing multiple personalities of the same person. Yes. Yeah. Which I think I think we, you know, metagame knowledge clocked almost immediately. I don't. I don't think you immediately got it that fast. It definitely took you some time. I'll have to check the texts to see when I texted you. Is this just John Cusack's identity? Maybe. I don't know. Okay. Doesn't matter. Regardless. Like, that. that is a fun concept, and it was fun to play out. And I think it was probably at least a little bit inspired, if not entirely inspired by Doom Patrol. I mean, it certainly was one of the things that sent me down that route. I also made a character that was kind of like this in D&D before I even saw Doom Patrol. So true. that's always been an interesting aspect to me. Yeah, that is very true, yes. I did think that the idea of all of them living as actual physical, metaphysical people in the same mental headspace was a big inspiration for this, which is kind of what I more or less was doing when it came to thinking about it. Yeah. So that was the one shot during the uh, PAX Unplugged weekend. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, last weekend, I had my next It's Always Nighttime in Philadelphia session. The girls and Eddie, Eddie is, or she, her pronouns, never mind. The girls all went on a Top Golf double date where one of the girls' normal boyfriends turned out to be a werewolf and were attacked by Fomori and. That's it. <laughs> Seemed fun. Seemed like a, a good date night that just sort of went a little sideways there at the end. Yeah, this is so this has been part of my initiative to I'm slowly learning that they are they have much less intense expectations for storytelling than I originally wanted to do. So I'm trying to introduce a lot of more fun random things that they can do as coterie mates to just make more memorable moments together. I know during the first arc during this campaign, they said that some of the more memorable things were like a fashion show and doing things like karaoke. And I was like, wow, those were just bullshit sessions, in my opinion. (laughs) But whatever. Not fighting God or whatever. So yes, I'm just trying to lean into more or less what they would rather do. Until I bide my time till I say, all right, it's time for Matt to play now. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's critical to have that balance. Yes. And I do think that they may have started the Doomsday Clock a little bit too soon last time, which is why I'm keeping the Doomsday Clock completely away from them for now. Yeah, honestly, that's what I'm doing here as well. Players will start that clock at w- always earlier than you expect. I think it's because you want to try and weave it into a story as best as you can without them grabbing it. Yes. I think I'm doing that pretty well right now because the Doomsday Clock, I say this very carefully because Jess might be listening because they are now a player, <laughs> yep. but the Doomsday Clock has been woven in very abstract and carefully. Hmm. But I still want to be able to focus on the more side adventures that they would rather do. I, I have... This, like, I basically what I did is I spent most of the session doing, hey, do a strength plus performance or a dexterity plus melee for how well you do on the stroke. And if you get above a four, you get a point. If you get a crit, you get two points. And an NPC one. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's great. So, Wesley, what about your werewolf game with the wolves and the standing walking simulator whatever what i'm very confused (laughs) you just talked about that board game that's a a resource walking simulator thing worker placement yes that word right okay (laughs) yeah no uh standing walking simulator (laughs) (laughs) got the name title you know, I was I was confused. I thought you were actually calling my session a walking simulator in the vein of like Dear Esther or What Remains of Edith Finch or Outer Wilds. <laughs> good, not good. Outer Worlds. You got it. I got it. Yes, you got there eventually. I always confuse those two because my Werewolf the Apocalypse session this week was one single conversation, which I have never had the discipline to do. 
I am always terrified that uh, an entire session of just role-playing with an NPC or multiple NPCs would be boring, that I wouldn't be able to uh, carry my NPC's beliefs well enough to, to hold a conversation for that long. But no, it was it was great. It was what, probably what will go down as one of the more memorable sessions of the campaign. Some big, long-standing secrets were revealed about my pack's meti or metis or mule or whatever non-problematic way you would prefer to think of it character Rykir, who learned that that his parents had not abandoned him shortly after he was born but w deeply loved him and were tragically murdered in one of the most heinous ways werewolves can be murdered in this universe which you know, I thought was kind of a ballsy move on my part as a DM because my player came to me with this is what my character concept is and behind the scenes I sort of went, mm, no. <laughs> but uh, this this really paid off and was like a deep emotional experience for him because it was, you know, it was his character having this established belief that was subverted and the player felt that as the character would. And, you know, he came to me and said that that was a really powerful session. He came to you and said... That, oh, yeah. Yeah. Immediately came to me and was like, Wes is just putting me through a lot right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, because it's, you know, getting that, that double whammy of realizing, no, my parents weren't the monsters I thought they were, but something monstrous was done to them. That worked incredibly well. And then, you know, the rest of the pack had their their moments as well none as impactful as that but my players are starting to realize that their their histories are more intertwined than perhaps they had realized which is the whole point of the campaign it's good storytelling yeah also um, it's easier on you it's well it's it's a lot more fun on me too like yes it's the it's the you were connected all along this is why this story makes sense yeah and and like figuring out those connections is the fun and interesting part so yeah i had a phenomenal session i think it's like with you it's probably time to start letting the pendulum swing back towards the more action-oriented stuff get the main plot moving a little bit faster now that my players have had some downtime, some heavy RP sessions. Yeah, maybe I could throw, throw a little more fun their way first. We'll see what happens. It's always good to gauge them. And you can always just ask a player, like, hey, what do you think of the story? What Are you expecting something more or less to happen? I know you've done this a couple of times. And literally, I remember them also saying the first time you asked them, I want more combat. And then the last time you asked them, they're like, I want more roleplay. And it's like, well, <laughs> yeah. Motherfucker, make up your mind. <laughs> it's okay to want both. It's okay to want both. I, I do like it when there's both. And, you know, combat can be a lot, a lot as a DM to manage. Yeah, yeah, in any system. Especially when I had to do one recently, which was... Oof! Oh, yeah. Don't want to talk about that one, because that's a spoiler. <laughs> yes. But yes, so... Other than that, do you have anything else you want to chat about with your woof? No, I don't think so. I, I don't really know how my next session's gonna go, so... Uh, stay tuned to find out, along with me. <laughs> of course. And it'll be a very quick news roundup as we talk about the Video Game Awards Video show. Game Awards, starring Jeff Keighley Jeff and Doritos. Jeff and Doritos and, I don't know, uh, some kid that was talking about Bill Clinton or something. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't even look into that. Was that like a Kanye, or sorry, Yee Taylor Swift moment? I... It was some kid that's basically known as a shit poster online that snuck up with uh, the team for Sekiro when no not Sekiro, Elden Ring when they were accepting the the Game of the War uh, Year award, and it was really cringy and dumb and stupid and he got arrested. So oh okay yeah I I hate I hate shitheads. I just hate all of this. So yeah. Anyways, but with the Video Game Awards show, which seems much more bigger for actual video game announcements than even E3 is anymore, they had a healthy amount of things, but these are some of the more interesting, of, at least to us, things that happened. But with the very iconic announcement of Hades 2, 
was certainly the thing that piqued our interest initially. Hades 2, bigger and more bisexual. And very hot. So hot. Gonna be very hot. Steamy as fuck. And yeah, it seems like it's gonna be more of the same, which absolutely give me that. I should probably finish the first. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I still haven't actually made it out yet. I've gotten to, to Hades himself, but... Yeah, and I realized that's only like 20% of the game. That is like 20% of the game, yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, well. Oh, well. The uh, Cyberpunk 2077 DLC got a pretty good look as we had introduced Idris Elba is joining. As Knuckles. As some mocap person in the game. Yes. Knuckles. Sure. Sure. Why not? I was reinvigorated with my need to play this fucking video game. Final Fantasy 16 had a new trailer. And we have fucking kaiju battles as the various titans and various uh, icons of Final Fantasy. I believe I heard something about a dog. There is a there's a good boy in this trailer. There is also a chocobo that gets shot in the head. What the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? I... I don't know how you did... Like, I was watching this in Discord with my friends, and my husband was five feet away from me, and I, as soon as this trailer starts, I'm like, they just shot that fucking Chocobo! Not cool, man. It it was a very not cool moment. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, death squads to whoever. I don't even know. And it's, it's... It is Final Fantasy, but Game of Thrones, so of course we're gonna murder animals. Ugh. Don't touch the dog. But uh, you, you can pet the dog. Okay. Nothing, nothing better happened to that fucking dog. And the announcement of Death Stranding 2, which neither of us have played it, but it's notable. It's fine. Whatever. And last of not least, certainly something we wanted to make note of is the Suicide Squad game had a new trailer. Unfortunate because Rocksteady has some problematic shit in their past, but... Well, yeah... In this game, it will be notably Kevin Conroy's last performance as Batman. Very sad. I, uh, man. He, you know, it's it's fine that this was his last game performance as Batman. Like, I've heard people saying, like, oh, this fucking game better be good. No, even if the game is bad, the man was a professional. He was dedicated to the role. Yes. He would take any opportunity, good or bad, and give it 100%. And and that's his legacy, and I, I'm happy with that. Uh, I'm I'm excited to play this, and optimistic that it could be good. But yeah, it's the duh. I didn't even know what to say. Yes, <laughs> very much. And other games are announced at the video game awards. There was a new Mario movie trailer where Chris Pratt sounds fucking terrible. But that's yes. Yeah, he's just awful. I don't know what to, what to say. <laughs> yeah. The problem's bigger than Chris Pratt, in my opinion, but if you want to target him solo, that's fine with me, too. It just pisses me off that they're just hiding him, because in this trailer, it's all Toad, and then, like, 5% Mario. Yeah. Like, they are clearly hiding him from speaking, and that annoys me, because the parts that he does speak in, it's very apparent it's just Chris Pratt. Yeah, yeah. Much like it's very apparent that Peach is just... Anyways, do you want to talk about something else? Anyways, uh, yeah. (laughs) Somehow, somehow Amazon forgot that God of War really only works in video games. And they're making a TV show about it. Oh, I I thought you... Yes, Amazon (laughs) Prime Video is working on a God of War TV show. And some of the creatives behind The Expanse are coming to it. So, we'll see. We'll see. I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah, I don't... I, I just, I don't think we need a show about Kratos. He's he's a video game hero. Sure, they have done a good job of humanizing him with the sun or whatever, and <laughs> the, the Norse games are obviously taking that Last of Us prestige television angle with it, but he's still just an emotionless, ruthless murderer. Well, don't forget, we are going to get The Last of Us very soon, and I am certain it's going to make waves. Probably. Because we have Ashley Johnson in it now. Oh, yes. Yeah, she just attracts controversy somehow. Don't really understand that. Oh, no, I was I was excited for that. But... Oh, I'm excited as well. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'd... Ashley Johnson being attached to it wasn't a controversy. If anything, Troy Baker would be, but oh. he's also in it. Fair, yeah. 
We're talking physically in the actual right. TV show, yes. by the way. Yes. And yeah, I, I feel like you have your phone out for a reason. Oh, um, I mean, if we want to talk about it, an adorable na- game called Akad just released. It's you play this adorable red panda and you go on these adventures in this disturbing war-torn uh, world and, you know, have to talk to really dep- ghosts who are really depressed over how ugly they are and take naps on top of giant capybaras. I don't know. It's a complete coincidence that it was open on my phone, but, you know, it's out. Oh, I, I uh, thought you uh, put your phone down just so you didn't forget to mention it. No, I did that so I don't forget to buy it the second that this is over, because it is only, like, 11 bucks. Okay, that's totally fair. So, totally not sponsored. I promise you to God we don't have a sponsor. <laughs> but I'm just happy to support indies any which way I can. Any which way so, you can. Yeah. So, this is Indie Sponsorship Wesley. Yep. That's me. Are you going to introduce me, or... Oh, and, and you're, you're my boyfriend? Wow, he really messed that up. I am his husband, Matt. <laughs> oh, right, we did the thing. We did the thing, like, four times. Anyways. Thank you very much <laughs> for listening. We love you very much. Yep. And we will talk to you soon. I will sign us up because you can't function, right? Yep. Happy, happy holidays, folks. Happy holidays, because we probably won't hear from us until right before New Year's. Yep. And I'm sure it'll be great. Mm -hmm. happy holidays everyone and we will talk to you soon Bye. bye